Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You've reached the High Fashion Hotline. Hi, my family's going to a concert in the park, and we want our style to be the main attraction. Rock over to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, right now get up to 50% off jeans from 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Up to 50% off jeans for the family? That's music to my ears. Plus, now you can get in and out of the store in a flash with buy online, pick up in store. It's fun, fast, and free. Styles that take center stage and free pick up in store when I buy online? Old Navy, here we come. High Fashion, Old Navy. Valid 720 to 729, select styles only. Guys being dudes. Yeah, we just gotta keep pounding, you know? Just keep pounding. Gotta keep pounding. Joe's a big fan of keep pounding these days. Just keep on pounding. You never want to stop pounding. You might want to revise that statement. Comes across a little wrong. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> never stop pounding, kids. You heard it here first. <laughs> Sports, joined by Kyle Krabs, who's the founder and director of scouting with NDT Scouting, also with Fan Rag Sports. We are your hosts here on a Monday edition of the Draft Dudes podcast, fresh off the big Army win over Navy and uh, and a very important weekend in the NFL where uh, there were some pivotal games uh, that will shape the landscape the playoff picture moving forward. Kyle, welcome to the show. How are we doing? Hola, Joe. Uh, how's how's Victory Monday feel? It, it feels very good, especially with a couple of uh, you know manageable games against the Dolphins coming up. Okay, well, you already <laughs> took it there. Okay, that's fine. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to definitely not having a Victory Tuesday tomorrow. <laughs> let's, let's just call a spade a spade here. I don't care if they don't have Gronkowski or anybody else. Um, that Twelve plan. Twelve's playing, yeah, yeah. yeah. Twelve's playing. Uh, although I don't. Do do we know what the spread is in this game? Do I need to get my producer oh, on that? 
Yeah, get the producer on that. Okay. I don't have that off the top. Yeah, but otherwise, it's uh, it's good. It, it snowed up here. Did you get any snow down there in Charlotte? Yeah, no. There some areas of North Carolina, western North Carolina, and some of the uh, north northern parts of the state got got some snow, but not in Charlotte. We were we were clean, a little chilly, but we were clean. I um, I hate snow, man. I just <laughs> despise snow. Uh, we got about three inches up here, so. Oh. Not, not too bad. Well, I did what I could. You, know, you, you just you just closed on your house. I, I did my best. I, get, I gave my best sales pitch when you were here in July to, to get you to uh, move to uh, fabulous Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah, but, I, know, uh, I know. Delaware. Delaware was just too too good to pass up, man. Just to update, the, uh, the Patriots are 11-point road favorites, and <laughs> uh, I would probably take the Patriots to cover the spread. Yeah, I think that would be good money. Just like, I think the the over under for the points in the Bills game was thirty eight and a half. You should put you put every dollar you had on yep, that. When, yep. When the, in those conditions, man, that was a fun game to watch. I was going to say, you know, between uh, Nathan Peterman and Joe Webbett p- playing quarterback for you guys, uh, you had to love that, didn't you? Oh, and then if Mike Tolbert ripping off a twenty plus yard carry and fumbling at the end to set up the Colts uh, to to score and tie the game, yeah, it was. Uh, it was just lovely at times, but came through, and uh, all was all was well. But you know what? You'll you will be hard pressed to forget a game like that, especially if Buffalo goes on to make the playoffs. Oh yeah, yeah, it'll be huge, and um, we'll see, man. I, I they still need to win two. You know, they basically need to beat the Dolphins twice. You figure a loss of the Patriots, and then you know, count on uh, count on the the Ravens. Ravens look like the the big contender there with the sixth spot. So, feel bad for these crappy AFC teams that are fighting for for spots. And right now, the Seattle Seahawks are on the outside looking in in the in the NFC playoffs. I mean, just, uh, you uh, know what? I'm out on the Seahawks after that bull crap yeah. that that Bennett pulled at the end of that game last night against the Jaguars. I'm out. I hope they miss the playoffs. Uh, I love Russ, uh, but but sorry, you know that's uh, hat tip to the Jaguars nine and four. But any, yeah. anybody who rolls up on a guy like that at the end of the play, nope. nope. I'm, I'm yeah. rooting for you to sit at home in January. Is the underrated NFL storyline right now that Aaron Rodgers is potentially coming back and is going to shake up this whole NFC with, you know, unfortunately what we saw happen with Carson Wentz as of the recording of this podcast. We're not sure if that's officially a torn ACL or whatnot. But, uh, man, um, Really sucks to see that happen, but you know, with Aaron Rodgers coming back, I mean, is Green Bay kind of back in this contenders role? I mean, uh, I mean, seven, seven and something. six, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, you run the table, man. I mean, ten and six probably gets you the six seed, and then you're playing. Uh, I, I guess you're playing what the winner of the NFC South. Uh yeah, probably. Yeah, you're probably, probably playing the Saints. Yeah. You're probably gonna play the Saints. Yep. Yeah. Um I mean, yeah. I, I hope they run the table. Just because it'd be yeah. it'd be must see TV. And and Brett Hundley uh played really bad to start this stretch, but he deserves credit for the way he played down the stretch. Two of the last three games he had uh three touchdowns and no interceptions, over two hundred passing yards in each game. Um he played well. He played well enough to keep a minute, and that's what a backup's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Would not be surprised to, to find out, you know, maybe Brett gets gets a chance to start somewhere eventually. 
We shall see. Uh, Kyle, you know what's eventually going to happen? The 2018 NFL Draft. And, in fact, we are 135 days away from it. And, as has become a tradition here on the show, I have a number that corresponds with 135. 135 is the record for the most solo tackles in an FBS season done by E.J. Henderson of Maryland in 2002. We have an asterisk here because the NCAA did not begin collecting defensive statistics until 2000. So uh, the the highest mark, I guess, since 2000 is E.J. Henderson, Maryland, 135 tackles, solo tackles in one season. Kyle, two, two things here. Any thoughts on E.J. Henderson and why the hell did did the NCAA wait until 2000 to start collecting defensive stats? Yeah, that's weird. Because you think about, like, it's really not that long. It feels like it's that long ago because that's, that's like, more than half of my lifetime. But it's, in the grand scheme of things, we've been playing college football for how long now? And it took until the year two that it took until the turn of the millennium for somebody to decide, hey, you know what? Maybe sacks and interceptions and tackles might be a good thing for us to keep track of at the college level. That's a little nutty. Oh, even, yeah, even the NFL, it took until 1982 for them to start uh, tracking sacks as an official stat. Why don't so, you, you know, start we, at the same? If the, if the NFL doesn't, why are you not doing it? It's no, it's remarkable. Is it, is why, it why 1982? It, <laughs> It's it's crazy. You're tracking the other stuff. It's guy up there track the game. I mean, it's uh, it, we, for you know Bruce Smith, 200 career sacks, but everyone says, oh, Deacon Jones had more. Well, uh, okay, did he? I mean, why don't we know that? It's pretty remarkable well, to me. I, with the technology that we have these days, and I know NFL's NFL Films has a massive library. They need to hire some statisticians to go through and and log all this information. Ooh, I'd go, volunteer. Well, no, go back and, and start start in nineteen no sixty two, where whatever year you want to start, and start with Super Bowl one, NFL league history. Watch every single game. Keep stats. Let's go. Yeah, you got offense. We you only got to watch half the games. That's true. That's there you true. go. There you go. I think we're on to something here. Uh, but uh, hat tip to E.J. Henderson for his uh, crazy good 2002 season where he had 135 solo tackles. Pretty yeah, remarkable. That, that's not pile diving. No, I was a, <laughs> I was a little bit of a pile diver when I played. So I got a couple oh. in there. Yeah. Um, now, I didn't have the stats a whole bunch. I had, I had a fair amount of uh, pile dives, though. It's good. You go in there just, you know, half second after he hits the ground and, you, know, you, you the ref tells you about it when you, you're walking back to the huddle. You nod your head and you just go back and do it all over again. It's good. Trying trying to hear that name on the loudspeakers, but yes. Henderson Henderson nine year career with the Vikings had had uh, 751 tackles in, in nine years. Pretty pretty good run as a starter, and uh, you know he wasn't the most athletic dude, but um, you know he found a way to stick for a while in the NFL. So hat tip for him, and um, I'm sure he's doing done well for himself and. Uh, um, there you have it, the book on E.J. Henderson. Now, was it him or his brother that had that disgusting injury? You know what I'm talking about? When he was, uh, like, I think it was his leg or arm or something was just flailing, uh, detached from the ligament. I mean, it was just awful. I think it was him. I, I think, it may have I been. I think that was E.J., yeah. Okay, so yeah. Aaron Henderson, his brother, had a, had a run for a while, but E.J. Henderson was the better Henderson brother. Yeah, thanks for uh, 
Thanks for bringing up such a morbid topic on a a day like today when we just saw the potential NFL MVP go down with a, a torn ACL. That's great. I, I didn't know Russell Wilson got hurt today. Oh, know. stop it. <laughs> stop it. No, I don't no. Think so. I, I'm very – look, I've already – I'm on record of saying – that Carson Wentz is the most indispensable football player in the NFL. So I, I think I'm, I'm that is true. well documented with I, with my sentiments regarding Mr. Wentz. Uh, Kyle, Monday, you, you've you invented this segment called uh, Top Plays, Plays of the Week, so, where we highlight a play that stood out, whether it's in a live game that we watched or, or film study. So uh, why don't you take the floor here and give us your Monday top play. Yeah, um, going back to this Eagles-Rams game, uh, was a really entertaining game. Went back and forth. Uh, Eagles scored a garbage time touchdown on on the final play of the game, a lateral uh, that went awry, and Brandon Graham scooped it up and ran it back for a touchdown. Uh, for the final margin, I believe to be forty three to thirty five. But um, the Eagles are down, and they have fourth and goal from like the three, and Doug <laughs> Doug Peterson goes for it. And um, on this, this was the play immediately after uh, Wentz was hurt and Wentz was still in the game. And Wentz takes the snap, and he's standing tall in the pocket, tall in the pocket. Nobody's open, nobody's open. Finally works back to his left-hand side and throws a ball. Uh, Had Nelson Aguilar and Alshon Jeffrey in the same vicinity with uh, Jeffrey working back to the goal line from the back the back of the end zone, and Aguilar's tied up with a, a defender and tries to reach his hand out with one hand. The ball just kind of slips through the sea of bodies, and Alshon Jeffrey addresses this football, bends back across his body, and literally, I think he caught it with three fingers. You know, two on, on the top hand and one on the bottom hand. And, you know, he's running one way. He peels back because it, the ball just kind of manifests out of the sea of, of limbs and plucks this ball off the ground. It's down about a, a foot off the ground, so it's down sitting off his thigh, and he ends up drawing that thing back up in for a game-winning touchdown on fourth and goal inside the five in a game that they were losing at the time. Um, gutty play call, gutty performance by Wentz to stand in and throw a touchdown after he'd been hurt. Uh, hit in the on the goal line, and um, a, a great catch by Alshon Jeffrey to uh, put the Eagles at 11-2 and two and clinch the NFC East division for the Philadelphia Eagles in 2017. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You've reached the High Fashion Hotline. Hi, my family's going to a concert in the park, and we want our style to be the main attraction. Rock over to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, right now get up to 50% off jeans from 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Up to 50% off jeans for the family? That's music to my ears. Plus, now you can get in and out of the store in a flash with buy online, pick up in store. It's fun, fast, and free. Styles that take center stage and free pick up in store when I buy online? Old Navy, here we come. High Fashion, Old Navy. About 720 to 729, select styles only. 
Kyle, four years, $52 million contract extension for Alshon Jeffrey. Is that too much? I mean, it's it's rich, but if you think he's an, an alpha guy and, and you know the Eagles this year have done well spreading the love around, you know, they, they've got Zach Ertz there, Alshon, um, Nelson Aguilar, Carson's done well throwing to his backs out of the backfield too. Um, I think if you're looking for a possession type receiver and a guy that, that can box out some and win some catches, that's the going rate for a, a wide receiver. A, I guess we could call him a wide receiver one. I don't yeah. think I don't think at that offense you're ever going to get true wide receiver one production out of him. But if you look at the value of uh where this team was last year offensively, where they are now, the personnel changes that were made uh in the receiving group. And uh I, I think he's a huge upgrade versus what they were working with last year. So uh I respect the move and I understand it's like any position uh, if, if you want a guy that's a quality starter, you're going to have to pay a bit of a premium to get him. Yeah, $13 million a season is a bit much for me. <clears throat> but I will say this. If he's uh, part of this uh, this train that uh, is an important piece to keep this Eagles offense moving like it is, uh, then he's he's probably worth it. But uh, I, don't, I don't know that his, his production is ever going to be commensurate with $13 million a season. Uh, Kyle, my play of the week is going to go back to my film study that I did. Okoronkwu's... An interesting player because he's listed at like 6'1", 240 pounds. Doesn't necessarily have a lot of success playing off the ball, but he has a lot of success as a twitched-up finesse pass rusher. And, um, you know, he's not going to offer a ton of length, and he's not going to offer a ton of just mass and power because on account of his size. Uh, but he does so much with his quickness and his, his juice and, and his finesse moves to move offensive tackles and, and cre- create rushing lanes without really – having to do much to soften him with his hands. So he's not very conventional in the way that he wins, but he wins all the time. And this rep was something that really stood out to me. It was it was a hard upfield rush uh, to the outside. And, and just as, as their right tackle opens up his hips to, to really defend that outside edge track, Okoronkwu sticks his outside foot in the ground and just smoothly and quickly crosses the offensive tackle's face and, and really attacks that inside B-gap. Uh, and he creates immediate pressure on JT Barrett, but then once he's in position to you know kind of close on him, Barrett moves off his spot to the right, and you see Okoronkwu just turn an insanely tight angle with his momentum going uh, kind of against his momentum to, to get his hands on Barrett's feet, trip, slow him down, and then his teammate cleans up the sack. But... Man, Okoronkwu is just such a fun player, and he's got so much twist and burst and flexibility. And um, he's a guy that you know his his NFL role is going to be interesting. But I feel really comfortable saying to this guy on passing situations, "Go get the quarterback, and he'll get it done." And I thought this play was a really nice example of a lot of the traits that he brings to the table. Right, and uh, great football player, Joe. My comp for him is who? Uh, I think it's Ngakwe, isn't it? Yes, and I think that's a role that I think you could really see. Okoronkwu mm-hmm. would be successful in as well where, I mean, Yannick really doesn't play rundowns. <laughs> he's he's mm-hmm. almost exclusively a pass rusher in Jacksonville. And he I think he's second on the team in sacks. He's got double-digit sacks this year. He had eight sacks last year. Uh, six forced fumbles, strip sacks this season. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I mean, you talk about words like powerful and twitchy and flexible, and that's Yannick. And, and the same thing was, I don't know where to play him. <laughs> well, third downs, you send him out there, pat him on the butt, and tell him, go get the quarterback. And that's exactly what he does. So uh, I think some people are probably going to overthink this evaluation. Now, that may prevent him from being a first-round draft selection because right. I'm sure the NFL is going to be petrified by a sub-six-foot-two pass rusher. But at the same time, uh, the, the traits are all there. The film suggests this is a player that can translate uh, with a fair amount of ease as far as you know, having – productivity as a pass rusher at the next level. I mean, shoot, we're even seeing Carl Lawson do it now, where Carl Lawson was short as a rookie this year, and uh, he's not having any trouble getting to the quarterback, and Cincinnati's using him on like 40% of snaps. Yep. So uh, don't overthink Okoronkwu because of his size, and that's all I would say in that matter. Kyle, one more uh, piece of information to kind of clean up from the weekend. Uh, this dude that plays quarterback for Oklahoma, Baker Mayfield, Heisman Trophy winner, um, Obviously, well-deserving, terrific story. Walking onto two different universities and, you know, culminating his career with the season he put together, with so much that he's done for himself as a player to make him a highly regarded draft prospect. He's got Oklahoma in the college football playoff, having a chance to play for the national championship. I mean, if this isn't a story that is easy to love and get behind and root for, then you're just you're, something's wrong with you because uh, that was awesome to see. And it was also interesting that uh, Bryce Love finished kind of considerably ahead of Lamar Jackson in the voting to, to secure that number two spot. So uh, well-earned Baker, and I was a little surprised to see it. Uh, see Love as the number two. Oh, I mean, I wasn't surprised to see Love ahead of nah. <laughs> Lamar. I, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Look, yeah. For, for the wager, but, I mean, really, do you really believe that? Would he be your number two on your ballot? <sighs> no, he'd be my number three. Because it would be it would be Baker, Saquon, and Bryce Love, and okay, Lamar, so you, Lamar would be four. Oh, man, delete your account. Okay, I'll delete my account. Um, <laughs> you know there are a lot of people that that are still fed up with the Heisman for giving it to such a quote unquote classless individual, which I think is just a joke, man. Like I I read an article from some columnist in Waco talking about how he's a Heisman voter and you know the Heisman talks about integrity and because of integrity he couldn't bring himself to vote for Baker Mayfield and it's just a joke man like for for all of the fuss we're talking about what a crotch grab an <laughs> FU and planting a flag on an opposing team's 50 yard line Right? Are those Baker's transgressions this year? Oh, the TCU uh, hit throwing. The guys ran through his drill. And, yeah, and he, don't uh, run through he... the drill, dude. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't take the ball and turn around and throw at him again. You know, it's it's just that's. Hmm. I'm gonna move on. I, I got, I'm not. I'm not moving on. I got one more thing to say about this. Uh, so I enjoyed watching the Heisman Trophy presentation and. Uh, you know, just kind of reflected on it for a little while and ate dinner and stuff. And then I get back on the Twitter machine and damn it. If Kyle Krabs didn't retweet 50, I don't know. It was a lot of scrolling, Kyle. My thumb was a little sore. 
scrolling through all of uh, your retweets of people who said that Baker Mayfield lost the Heisman. Uh, November 18th. People, Kyle, Kyle keeps the receipts, folks. <laughs> he keeps the receipts. You know, I, I, and, I was highly amused scrolling through the Twitter search because I did <laughs> Mayfield Heisman lost. And there was, and just, there was a sea of tweets from between November 18th and November 20th. Of you know, I, a lot of folks saying that Baker quote lost the Heisman because he grabbed his crotch against Kansas and gave them a piece of his mind. Third, third largest uh, margin of victory, right? I guess is how you say it. The third highest percentage of votes. That's the way you say it. Uh, all time, right? If I'm not mistaken, Oops. did Baker Mayfield win the Heisman? So uh, that didn't that didn't age well for those people. Those tweets did not. Oh, man, it's, act- it's actually been a while. <sighs> I'm sorry, what happened? I blacked out. Why don't you transition to our <laughs> next topic, Kyle? Yeah, so one of the things we wanted to talk about, uh, Joe and I kind of were talking in the pre-show and said, what would be an interesting topic? You know, we're, we're kind of free of the chains of the, the college football season where we have a little bit more liberty on, on things that we talk about on the show. And what are, what's something interesting that we could talk about? And I'm sitting here watching, you know, between my fantasy football team and watching the games taking place uh, yesterday on Sunday, a lot of names from recent draft classes who started slow uh, but were able to kind of turn the corner in their careers. And you know, that's why you hear a lot of people say you need to wait three years to grade a draft class. Well, I mean, that rule's been around since for forever, as far as I'm aware. You know, I started doing draft work pretty extensively about six years ago or so. Um, and that, that had always been a general rule of thumb uh, since I've started. And uh, these are the kinds of players that are the reason – this rule exists, and and some of these players had really big games this past weekend. Some of them uh, didn't, but have had career resurgences in general after failing to meet the expectations of, of lofty draft stocks. So, Joe, these are guys like uh, Todd Gurley. You know, Todd Gurley came onto the scene as a rookie and had, like, an awesome first month, and then I think over his next 20 games he averaged, like, less than four yards per carry. And Gurley's a bust. Gurley's a bust. We heard it for two years. And then, lo and behold, Todd Gurley is leading the NFL in rushing right now. He's he's had a total career resurgence with a new head coach. This could be a guy like uh, Jonathan Cooper, who was a top ten pick at, at uh, the Arizona Cardinals uh, offensive guard out of North Carolina, who... Back in 2013, I mean, he was one of my favorite players in the draft class. And uh, Cooper suffered a pretty significant injury. I believe he broke his leg. And um, it just never seemed like he fully got back to 100%. And he kind of bounced around for a little while. And uh, he settled in with the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, when he's gotten his, his reps, you know, it took him a while to, to work his way and to get some playing time. But he's playing good. And... It's like, wow, Like after all this time, a guy like that uh, who was so highly regarded and came in and, and got hurt and came back and was just terrible uh, has turned his career around. So, uh, Joe, I think the general root of what we want to talk about right here is uh, 
player development is not always linear. Not everybody always moves in a steady stream upwards. There's different conditions that affect players that can uh, limit their productivity or, or their, their play on the field, uh, whether that's mental, physical, um, so any different number of things can influence players. But uh, what we wanted to give some recognition, recognition to some guys who have turned the corner in their careers and have seemingly uh, taken advantage of either their last opportunity with their final team or an opportunity with a new team. Yeah, one, one guy whose career has not been linear at all is Jordan Poyer. Um, he was a corner for Oregon State, had a ton of ball production in college, and then he wound up being the 218th pick in the 2013 draft, which really was really much further down the board than I thought he would go. Uh, Seventh-round pick by the Eagles. Uh, lasted just three games, and then he was released, and then he was on the Browns for four seasons and had some chances to start, didn't play overly well, um, had a, a kind of a, a really scary injury last year. I think it was with a, a kidney uh, that uh, was hit and ruptured or something, some type of internal organ or something that, that was, was kind of scary last year. Um, he wasn't playing well, so it didn't seem like a big loss at the time. But now he's with Buffalo and with Sean McDermott, who's had a nice history of, of getting the most out of safeties and, and, and kind of accentuating what they do well. You look at Kirk Coleman with Carolina. Uh, it's one of those examples. And Now, Jordan Poyer with Buffalo has just been a lights-out player, uh, good in all aspects. They, they use him as a blitzer. Uh, they use him in deep zones. He does some man stuff. He, he does some short zones. I mean, he's a very versatile player, and, He's, he's having a Pro Bowl caliber season, I mean, to be honest with you. He's, he's playing really, really well. So, um, you know, he's a guy that just continued to grind, but it's it was a matter of getting him in the right scheme and and in the right situation to, to accentuate what he has because, uh, you know, it's a seventh-round pick and, and a guy that's kind of been in and out of lineups. You know, those are the kind of guys that fade out after eh, two, three seasons. But uh, credit to Poyer and and I guess the glimpses that he's shown throughout his career to get this chance with Buffalo, and now he's playing like you know one of the better safeties in the NFL. Yeah, and, P- and Poyer was fun. You know, you go back and watch that Oregon State tape. He always stood out as far as just being a really solid football player. So uh, another guy defensively who I think well, kind of stands out to me if we're going to talk in that regard is uh, Kyle Van Noy from BYU. Van Noy was a, uh, a first-round pick for the Detroit Lions. I'm sorry, second-round pick for the Detroit Lions back in 2014. Uh, I thought he was one of the ten best players in that draft class. A really good overall athlete, all-around linebacker. Uh, took some poor angles, missed some tackles, and you know, that, that obviously at linebacker is not where you want to be bad at times. Uh, so that that was a kind of part of the root of why he slid in the draft to the second round. But you know, he goes to Detroit, and Detroit desperately need, desperately needs linebackers. They they need good linebacker play, and uh, it just did not fit. You know, where they were asking him to play, what they were asking him to do, uh, the the marriage between that and his skill set, and where he has worked successfully with his his second opportunity. Uh, that that harmony wasn't there. So, uh, as we see so many freaking times, uh, the New England Patriots come calling, and the New England Patriots uh, acquire Kyle Van Noy 
and all he's done this year is have 88 total tackles and five and a half sacks this year in 12 games, <laughs> and uh, he's ha- he has more than doubled like many of his career stats. Like he had a he has 178 total tackles in his career in 2014, 15, 16, and 17. 88 have come this year, his first year as a full-time starter with the, the New England Patriots. Uh, five, uh, five and a half of his seven and a half career sacks have come this year with the New England Patriots. So it, it's that, to me, is a really telling piece of uh, the coaching staff in Detroit. Uh, they seem to get down on him early. Uh, they never really trusted him. And uh, it took another coaching staff going out of their way to bring him and his athletic ability and his football intelligence into the fray and kind of deliberately have an area that they wanted to utilize him and it was a better fit for what Van Noy does, uh, which is kind of a fast-to-flow penetration at times, linebacker, uh, and... The, the proof is in the pudding where the, the stats are there. He's playing well. He's a full-time starter. Uh, so it took Van Noy three years to get into a situation that would cater to what he does best. And that's something like that. Like, that's completely out of his control. Yeah, it's, it's nice to see him playing well because, well, not necessarily because he's on the Patriots, but uh, because I was so high on him. You know, and now it's like, all right, feel feel redeemed a little bit that uh, that he's found a home and looks like he's a player. Um, one guy that's interesting to me, Kyle, that uh, I didn't necessarily like a ton coming out, um, but has really carved out a role is uh, Shaq Thompson for the Carolina Panthers. Um, you know, his his career at Washington was interesting because he played a lot on offense as well as that linebacker and safety, even um, kind of a just all over the place, but never really had a, had a true home. And, and I didn't think he felt natural uh, at linebacker. And then, you know, the Panthers took him in the first round. I thought that was a reach. And then his first season, you know, I'm sitting here watching him and, and seeing that he's kind of a very in and out of the lineup, you know, not, not a very consistent, you know, on the field type player and, and, and like sitting here thinking, Oh man, I, I guess I was right about Shaq Thompson. Well, then 2016 came and, and he, he turned into the player that Carolina wanted him to be where he's, uh, you know, really playing fast, and, and they're using him in situations where he can succeed in space and having him uh, work some matchups and coverage that is taking away some of the bigger slots and, and, and tight ends and stuff. And uh, even this year with, with Steve Wilkes as a defensive coordinator, who's a really, really good football coach, probably a guy that you'll see as a head coach in the next few seasons, um, continuing to get a lot out of his, his uh, skill set. And, um, you know, it was nice to see because uh, you know Carolina needs him, and obviously paying him behind a really good front. But him in his role that he's in right now is kind of that weak side linebacker that gets to kind of chase and and, and play a lot in coverage and space. Man, uh, it's it's been good to see Shaq Thompson really you know develop into a quality linebacker and um, another example of where you know, it didn't start off good, but I think that Carolina is quite satisfied with what they have right now in Shaq Thompson. Yeah, and um, now we're we're sitting here talking about guys that are surprising. 
Uh, I look at two guys that I was really high on, Joe, uh, a couple of USC wide receivers, Nelson Aguilar and Mark Easley. These guys were uh, highly coveted players coming out of college, and uh, Nelson was actually drafted 20th overall by the Eagles uh, back in 2015. And Nelson's first year was horrible. He, he might have been the worst wide receiver in the NFL his rookie year. And it's so frustrating because you watch the college tape, you know he has this confidence about the way he plays. And then he's picked by the Eagles, in which before the draft, I think Riley Cooper was set to be like their number one. And you're taking a guy out of USC in Nelson Aguilar. You're expecting him to step into the starting role, be a boundary wide receiver. And he had some drops. He struggled against press coverage. And it kind of became apparent the more and more you watched, okay, he's probably a better fit for the slot. And it took the Eagles two years to open up space to get him into the slot. You know, they finally traded uh, Jordan Matthews to the Buffalo Bills, Bills Mafia. And you know, in doing so, we're able to shift Aguilar inside. And eight of his 11 career touchdowns have come this year. Seven receiving and one fumble recovery. So it still counts. Six on the board. So eight of 11 career touchdowns this year after finally moving him from the boundary into the slot. Uh, he did a lot of work as far as confidence and concentration and catching the football. Uh, from what I understand, he's an extremely hard worker in that building. He's consistently getting to the gym uh, before the sun rises up in the morning. Um, I was talking to, to somebody who covers the team, and they said you know, Aguilar had been quoted in saying the only guy that beat him into the gym in the mornings was Carson Wentz. So uh, Aguilar, uh, good kid, hard worker, uh, frustrating start because, again, this is a player that's miscast. He's playing somewhere that doesn't suit his strengths. He's pressing mentally because he knows there's a certain expectation that comes with the draft status that he's been given. And he drops a couple balls. It gets in his head. He had drops for like 18 months, like really bad concentration drops that just shouldn't be happening. Couldn't win contested catches. Nelson had a clutch catch in this game against the Rams. Uh, they were on third down, and he runs up on a receiver, uh, gets outside leverage on the route, kind of runs into the defender, peels back into the sideline, makes a diving hands catch with the defender draped on his body. That's a ball he easily would have dropped two years ago. And uh, you know, that kind of growth from him, it's, he, there's a snowball effect where the positive play really starts to piggyback. And you see the same sort of thing from like Marquise Lee, where Marquise, his first year, uh, 422 yards on one touchdown, second year, 191 yards, and uh, one touchdown. Then 2016, the kind of the, the injuries in Jacksonville kind of allowed him to step up into the fray a little bit, had 851 yards. Um, this year, I believe he's on pace for about 900 receiving yards. So th these are not earth-shattering numbers, but they're at least numbers that you look at and say, you know, I expected Marquise Lee or Nelson Aguilar to be a starting caliber player. They're playing to that expectation now, and it, it's good to see. It's good to see.
Yeah, it's uh, interesting because it, it it does speak to having too much congestion in certain areas of, of your team. And um, even when you look at, not to talk about another player that Buffalo inherited, but Calvin Benjamin and some of the strides that Carolina's made without him and the success that they've had prior without Calvin Benjamin when he was injured, it, it does say something for having duplicates to kill skets and uh, you know, you need to be able to force defenses to cover as much of the field as possible. And, and so having repeat skill sets can be problematic, and uh, it's really good to see Aguilar uh, playing well because I know you, you, were, you were a big fan and you took some crap for, oh, I took, for uh, I some took of his early season. ton of crap, especially from because I'm in the Philly area. Yeah, so all yeah. my, my friends are Philly fans, and I talked up the pick. I was like, this is a great pick, X, <laughs> Y, and Z. And I got texts for two years. This guy's trash. He can't play. He can't catch the ball. Well, I haven't got any texts this year. That's all I'm saying. Touche. Joe, uh, speaking of overdrafted wide receivers that are better off in the slot, how about Teddy Ginn? Yeah, okay. Teddy Ginn's (laughs) career development. Uh, he didn't take off until he was 30. <laughs> like, he was drafted in the top 10 by the Dolphins, played three years in Miami, then went to San Francisco. He had one year, his second year, he had 93 targets and had 790 yards with two touchdowns. He had six touchdowns in his first six years in the league. Then he had five spot with Carolina then went to Arizona for a year, then came back to Carolina and had 17 yards a catch, 44 catches for 739 yards and 10 touchdowns. And what's most amazing about that is is Teddy did not catch uh, more than 45% of his targets that year. He had 44 catches on 97 targets. And then he comes back again the next year and has 750 receiving yards in Carolina. Now he's in New Orleans and he's on pace to set a career high in receiving yards. Now, this was a guy that had one season in his first seven seasons in the NFL of more than 600 receiving yards. And now he's got three straight. Really Does interesting. Does a little? Or... <laughs> yeah, no. Because I hated Teddy, man. Like, and I didn't, I, my life wouldn't have been any better if I had it my way because I wanted Brady Quinn. Mm. But I was starving for a quarterback back in 2007. You got to understand, as a Dolphins fan, and then we, we the Jay Fiedler years, man, right? Yeah, yeah. That, no, no. That that was even after that. That was like Gus Farrat years. Oh, um, Kyle, can we take a pause here? Uh, that's back-to-back podcasts that you've mentioned Brady Quinn. He's a handsome man. <laughs> I'm just saying, I, I, if you could find a way to make three podcasts in a row that mention Brady Quinn in the year 2017, that, that's fairly well, remarkable. Well, here's the deal. You know, it, it broke my heart. I was at the Combine this year, and Brady does an- analysis. And I saw him at the Combine, and I got to say hello, and it was like, yes. Like, I love Brady in college. Like, he was a little robotic, a little stiff. And I, I still would have loved to have seen him get his start somewhere besides Cleveland. Because, Cleveland, I love you, but right now you are the destroyer of worlds when it comes to quarterbacks. And that's why I'm so petrified of you guys either taking Rosen or Mayfield. Because I think they can be successful there, 
But, like, I've seen you guys put so many through the ringer. And it's, it has me a little concerned, I can't lie. Um, so, one of my favorite Brady Quinn stories, and it's not really necessarily about him, but um, the Bills were also needing a quarterback that year. And I cannot remember the player that they chose instead. Um, but uh, Buddy Nix was the general manager. And uh, after, you know, the day one goes by and the, and the GMs beat and have their press conferences, uh, one of the Buffalo media members said, you know, look, uh, with with a, uh, a top 10 caliber quarterback on the board, why did you select whoever they selected over over Quinn? And Buddy Nix goes, he says, Brady Quinn's a top 10 quarterback? What's I, why didn't somebody pick him? <laughs> oh, <laughs> and man. I, 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 and, and so I, I have not forgot that. So it's uh, you can say somebody's a top 10 or a top 5 guy, but somebody actually has to pick him right, to do that. Right, <laughs> But all takes is one, right? Like the other, the other, nine, is- the other nine could have you as a sixth-round pick. But if there's one, if there's one that loves Josh Allen, that's still a top ten quarterback. What year? What do you remember? What year this was, Kyle? The Brady Quinn year. Yeah, it was 2007. I was a senior in high school. Was it eight? Then I think it might have been eight when he was drafted. No, that the Dolphins picked Jake Long that year. The Brady Quinn year. Yeah, I'm trying to find it. No, Brady Quinn was the same year as Teddy Ginn, which was 2007. Okay, all right, you are correct. Trust, I mean, trust me here, because I vi- I remember exactly where I was when that pick went down. I was in my my parents' living room with my my good friend from high school, and I am on my feet with my hands in the air, expecting to hear Brady Quinn, and they say Ted Ginn, and I <laughs> collapsed to the floor. I was devastated. The Bills selected Marshawn Marshawn Lynch that year. That's who the pick was. That's a good pick. Yeah, turned out to be okay. Oh, you know what? We had that idiot Cam Cameron that, that year. That was the John Beck year. Was that your consolation prize? <laughs> John Beck's the worst quarterback I've ever seen I was play just, a game. I was just life. going to say John Beck is the worst quarterback I've ever seen play football. Yeah, in an NFL game. 28-year-old 20, rookie out of BYU. Um, can, Top 40 could, pick? Couldn't could stop it. It's too soon. And then they go around and spend one on Pat White the next year. Second round pick on Pat White. It's bad, man. This, and now you guys know why I am a NFL draft analyst. And I don't actively root for a football team into the end of December because it never works out. So if you're listening to this, we're assuming that you are a self-loathing, insert your non-playoff eligible team here fan. And if that's the case, we'd like to thank you for listening to the draft, dudes. Uh, make sure you hit subscribe. You know, now that we are officially into the winter mode, we had our first snow up here in the Northeast, so it is now official. It is winter. Um, you know, we're we're really going to start picking up steam. Joe and I are are diving in feet first into to film on players and writing our assessments up and and trying to really familiarize ourselves with as much of this class as possible. Uh, and Every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we're going to be here on Draft Dudes. We're going to be breaking down what we're watching. We're, you know, we're going to keep you guys in the loop with the All-Star Circuit and the NFL Combine. So lots of things to look forward to. Highly recommend you guys hit subscribe. Leave us one of those five-star reviews if you would be so kind. Um, 
Also swing over to ndtscouting.com. Sign up for the College Bowl Pick'em. Joe, hello. We need a, we need a pump here from our two-time defending yes. champion. Yeah. Uh, hey, I've, I've won it two years in a row, so if uh, you want to beat me, the only way to do it is to sign up and play. Well, let's be clear. You won the NDT staff the last two years. Shane Alexander beat you last year by two points. So I finished number one and the NDT staff each of the last two years and finished number two overall last year to the late Shane Alexander. <laughs> Raise your glasses. We're going to get a jump start on pour one out for Wednesday, pour one out for Shane, who is now retired. Um, Yeah, so you can actually go over to NDTscouting.com and sign up for the College Bowl Pick'em right now. There's a link on the top of the page uh, with an article that you guys can click and follow. It's ESPN. Uh, We make our picks. We got the leaderboard. Uh, The NDT staff is going to label their team names with NDT, so you can see exactly where we're at. Uh, Pro tip, though, you can usually find us at the top of the leaderboard. So make sure you guys uh, do sign up for that. You can win Joe and I's 2018 reports for free. Everybody likes free stuff. So uh, shoot your shot, guys. Uh, I'm Kyle Crabb signing off with Joe Marino. This is the Draft News Podcast, and we will talk to you on Wednesday. Right now, join T-Mobile and get an unlimited family plan with Netflix included so you can watch in more places than ever before on your phone, tablet, or TV. Plus, buy one Samsung Galaxy S9 and get one free with 24 monthly bill credits so you and your family can binge your Netflix favorites on your new phones. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. Unlimited data on their network. Video streams at 480p. Small fraction of customers using over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speeds. If you cancel balances due, well-qualified customers, full price, 720 plus tax. Finance agreements required. Netflix for two screens. Terms apply. Hey, you. With a rhinestone dog collar. Between us dogs, I just convinced my human to upgrade to a new home with a 1,200-square-foot bathroom. I think she called it a yard. With Wells Fargo's 3% down mortgage option, my human realized a new home was within reach. And I only gave her puppy eyes once. Get your human to talk to a mortgage consultant or learn more at wellsfargo.com slash woof. Wells Fargo Home Mortgage. Down payments as low as 3% on a fixed-rate loan require mortgage insurance. Ask a home mortgage consultant about loan requirements. Wells Fargo Home Mortgage is a division of Wells Fargo Bank N.A. Equal housing lender. NMLS R.I.D. 399801. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.